The following is a presentation of the Boston Podcast Network. Podcasting is a great way for professionals to tell their story. Find out how you can get started at pod617.com. Tonight on an all-new Monsterland, we've got 45 minutes to record about three hours worth of materials. We don't have time to screw around with all my stupid intros. Why am I attacking the audience? This is a disaster already. Let's go! Welcome to a wicked mystery. A paranormal perfect storm known simply as Monsterland. The Monsterland podcast is recorded live in an undisclosed location somewhere in the heart of high strangeness, just outside of Monsterland, Massachusetts. And now, here are your hosts. As seen on the Travel Channel, author-researcher Ronnie LeBlanc. And as seen on the History Channel, actor-host Maddie Blake. Okay, 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 It was Labor Day. Is it Memorial Day or Labor Day? I always confuse. I don't know what Labor Day. Okay, Labor, Labor Day weekend. We're all off, blah, blah, blah. Hi, hey, hey, monsters. It's Maddie. How many coffees have you fucking had? Well, holy shit. Let me set the stage. Uh, tonight's one of those nights where it was either don't do a podcast or try to cram in everything in 45 right. minutes. Our producer Dave's got a heart out. You've got a heart out. I've got a semi out. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody calm the fuck down. Oh, my God. We have so much to talk about, so much, but we just don't have much time. Uh, we have a great guest. <laughs> We're going to talk about a megalith right here in the uh, New England area, uh, America's Stonehenge. We'll get yeah. into that. Um, Ronnie, uh, we've yes. got U- UFO stories, a follow-up on an old story that we've talked about many times, one of my favorites, rumors of an alien shot on an Air Force base. I love Crazy. shit like this. I love it, but now we might have some... Not proof, but a detailed account that's saying, yes, that actually happened. If you're into paranormal, you know about this story. An alien potentially killed at an iconic Air Force base, uh, and there is more to that story. We'll get into that. Uh, and yes, I was on Oak Island. How was that? You're uh, Unbelievable. We're working on, if you're an Oak Island fan and you listen to this podcast, and by the by, I'm not doing a good job of staying focused. <laughs> David showed me on this new Adori app, which we'll also get into later. Yes. Uh, w- you can see where people are listening to us. We literally have people listening to us, Ronnie, all over the world. And if you're one of those people in Europe or whatever, thank you. Uh, we are blown away that you're listening to us and you're... In another country, uh, share it with your friends there, please. If they want some good old-fashioned American entertainment and paranormal talk, share it. We thank you for listening. But point being, um, what was I saying? I think, I don't know. <laughs> that was before that. The Adori thing. I was getting to a larger point. Oh, my God. Uh, <laughs> yes. Oh, if you're an Oak Island fan that happened, thank you, Producer Dave. That's why you're s- sitting in the uh, producer oh corner. Maddie Blake, God. are we in the bizarre world? <laughs> Maddie Blake had to be reminded of Oak Island. <laughs> what the hell? If you're listening to this, you're an Oak Island fan. We are working on specials. Nice. Uh, unlike I've never done before, it's the hardest I've ever worked wow. on Oak Island. And we're going to have a gift for you fans that you fans, sometimes knowing and sometimes unknowingly, participated in. We've got some new specials coming. Cool. Something we haven't done before, Drilling Down. A special themed, they are themed specials, and they're going to be awesome. Oh, that sounds awesome. So, yes, that was exciting. But while I was doing that, Ronnie, yeah. you were speaking at a conference that happens yeah. to be local, but it is very famous in the paranormal world. Tell us where it was. It was just north of us, Exeter, New Hampshire, the Exeter UFO Festival. It's uh, one of the biggest ones on the East Coast, and... Um, kind of celebrates 
I guess, identifies and brings some awareness to this incident at Exeter that happened back in 1965. This guy, Norman uh, Muscolero, sees this huge craft. Police officers were involved. A lot of people had seen this this thing. And I spoke at it, and um, I kind of was like let loose a little bit in the sense of I started talking about in the book about marbles getting gifted those and, and different things and how wait in your book you <clears throat> yeah. mentioned gifting right so just gifting with with sasquatch right that there's people that have um you know gifted either stones or food or whatnot and they've gotten back quartz crystals or they've gotten back some weird different things and and i've gotten three on three different occasions marbles after i've gone to lemonster state forest and after I've asked for them, basically, to, to get some marbles. So after my presentation, I'm walking with my computer. It was great. You know, place was packed, 150 people. Talked to a bunch of people at the end. And as I'm walking back with my computer, I go through the doors, and my buddy Phil kind of bumped into him. But, like, I hit him, and then, like, a white marble dropped out of my laptop, it looked like. What? Swear to God, dropped on the ground, and he's like, "Dude, marble." So I pick it up. What the frick? And I go into the room where our, the other speakers are set up with their tables and whatnot. And my daughter Asia is manning the table. And uh, when I walk over to it, she's got five marbles on the table. I'm like, "Where did those come from?" She's like, "I don't know. They were in my bag." She's like, "I didn't put them in there, but I, you know, grabbed my backpack and brought it to the event and blah 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 blah." So these marbles appear in that. Okay. So I just dismissed it. I just dismissed it as, you know, because we had recently had to buy some marbles for like an event type thing, and we had them around the house. So they looked exactly like that. I was like, all right, this is just my son or whatever. Put him in the backpack. That's it. So I just let that story go. But then we ended up going to Mystery Hill, which is known as America's Stonehenge in Salem, New Hampshire. And we're going to talk to Dennis in a second here. Dennis um, runs that. Dennis place. Stone, yep, he runs it. His dad had purchased the property way back when. And it's basically this, uh, it's considered possibly anywhere from 2,000 to 4,000 years old. And it's one of the oldest, I guess, man-made things in, in, the, in the country. So it has a lot of history, and they're not sure who made it. Was it the Phoenicians, whatnot? Some sort of Hogan. megalith. Yes, and so, and he's going to talk about a bunch of different things. But yeah, and, and after that, I ended up going to um, Lemster State Forest with my daughter, took her for a hike. We went down Hell's Highway, and I told her before we left, I said, I'm going to try a little experiment. That's a trail in Lemster yes. State Forest called Hell's Highway. Yeah, so it's right off of Palmetto Road, and it's a little trail, and it's called Hell's Highway. Now, most places that are called Hell's Highway or Devils have some weird paranormal shit happening. Makes sense. Those areas. You don't call it like Skiddly Doo Lane <laughs> right. if you've seen like demons yeah, exactly. on it. Right, right. So we went Rainbow Terrace. No, it's freaking <laughs> Hell's Highway. So I told her, I said, before we went on the hike, we're driving over. I said, listen, I asked out loud to get a black crow feather, a white stone or quartz on our hike. Hopefully we'll get it along the trail was my, I said, I just want to experiment something. I projected it out in the universal Alexa, right? So we do our hike. And then halfway through the hike, you know, we're looking. It was beautiful out three hours. Hour and a half into it, I say, I look around, just kind of, we get a few little vibes every once in a while, like we're being watched. Mm, something's too quiet. And I said out loud, I would love to see a small, like, white orb or something, like, during the day, like, yeah. flying around. Because yeah. like, I've just heard different people talking about in the woods, almost like a little fairy type, you know. So I was like, I'm just throwing stuff out there. 
So we finish the hike, and we're getting back to the car. No black crow feather, no stone, no orb, nothing. You could have played the black crows. Right, right. So we get home. Yeah. My daughter, Lena, my other daughter, um, gets home from school and has to get something downstairs. So half an hour later, she runs downstairs to grab something and then comes bolting back upstairs. She's like, I just saw a white orb go flying by my face downstairs. And I was like, are you kidding me? And uh, she, and this we've been having some weird stuff the past uh, month and a half or so since I've been back, right? Um, so then Asia goes to school, my oldest that was on the hike, who went with me to Mystery Hill. That was with me at an Exeter UFO Festival. Uh, she goes to school. She's coming, coming back. The bus drops her off at a different place where she normally would be walking from the stop to our house. It was a short distance, but I would say a quarter of a mile. She goes a different way, and as she's walking, she sees a white marble in the crack. No. Yep. As she's walking, <clears throat> she sees this white marble. So she picks it up, and she's like, oh, my God. It's got a red line, green line, blue line, puts it in her pocket. Then she realizes earlier in the day when she was doing gym and running around the track, there was a black crow feather in the path. And she couldn't pick it up because she's like, what am I going to do? Tell my friends I'm running gym. And oh, nothing. Don't worry about it, yeah. PE teacher. My father manifested this on Hell's Highway. <laughs> <laughs> so within 24 hours, even though I thought we would get it on the trails, within 24 hours, she got a white stone, a marble, right, in her path, a black crow feather, and then the orb, the orb uh, that Mylena saw, which was just, and Asia didn't really put it. She's like, oh, my God, I totally forgot that you'd said that. We're going to do that. You know, so it was just a weird, oh weird God. thing. Can you imagine if, like, she found the black crow feather and then, like, Chris Robinson was walking across the truck? Hey, man. <laughs> hey, Ronnie's daughter. Sorry I dropped that, man. <laughs> Adori's going to pop up the black crows, and aren't we all better for it? Ah. Ronnie, that is so... Okay, is that okay, wild? Let me, say, let me say this. If you listen to this podcast a couple episodes ago after I our hiatus, I mentioned... That you were working on a super secret project, yeah, which is going to catapult us into paranormal mm-hmm. fame. By by us, I mean you <laughs> and you. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I'm being very delicate here. Yeah, but perhaps this gifting thing might have started in relation to that project. Is that fair to say? Can we say that much? Yes. And that this con- is following you. This is a connection there. Yeah. What the. Yeah. I'm trying to swear less. <laughs> Dude, so get, let's talk about that. What does this mean? Where does it come from? Like, so gifting is something that a scientist will tell you primates do. Right. Right? Primates will, you know, I don't know how it works, but a, a monkey would uh, sensibly leave something for another yeah. monkey or ape, and they gift, you know, a little pile of whatever, sticks. Right. Yeah. And then the other one will leave stones or food, right? Right. Mm-hmm. So then when Sasquatch hunters or just regular hunters who had Sasquatch experience would report that they would leave something, uh, they were experiencing gifting, which right. when if you believe them at their word, some of these Sasquatch witnesses, uh, they didn't know about this whole gifting thing that primates do, which would lead you to believe that's a piece of evidence or a corroborating fact right. that, wow, primates actually do this, and it seems like these Sasquai, whatever they are, are doing this too, right? And the, and, the, and the big piece of this is that the ones that these Sasquatch hunters, right, Bigfoot hunters, uh, that are going out don't see anything, don't find anything, but the ones that do this gifting, that start doing this stuff, that have a, a you know, clear intent, pure intent, 
You're not trying to harm this thing. They can basically read your mind is what people and researchers have talked about experiencing that. They can sense your intent coming in. Just like an elephant can pick up on your electromagnetic frequency mm. and know if you're going to harm it or not. Wow. It's the kind of the same thing. But yours is on steroids. Yours is next level. Yours seems to be paranormal. Yours seems to be gifting out of the ether. You're not yes. you're not in the woods act like like we met yeah. the family one day and they said we've got Sasquatch in our farm. Right. And we've had it for a long time. We leave them gifts, they leave us gifts back. That's one thing. Mm-hmm. That's like an act of you see a Bigfoot, you leave something out where you think it was, that thing's gone and there's a pile of sticks in his place. Oh my right. god, that's incredible. We're gifting Sasquatch. Yeah. You're talking about things manifesting outside the woods, not even where Sasquatch is around, but these things are appearing in right. bedrooms and bags and computer bags. <laughs> and I and, mean, that is what, what is that? And I, you know, I don't know if it is something that as I'm trying to be specific with the black crow feather, with the, right. the white marble or the stone, you know, is the quartz is that, is this just something that now our minds perked up just like you buy a Volkswagen. Now you see your friggin' Volkswagen. Is that what that is, or is this something else? So I'm trying to play around with this, but for some reason, it responded and ended up showing up. It's in in her path, too, which is kind of weird. Let's put this to the test. I'm going to put out an intention right now on the podcast, and we'll see if the next couple weeks, if I get it. All right. I will say I would like the universe to manifest a 22-year-old Applebee's hostess who thinks I'm cute. (laughs) David, any chance of that happening? You can never play enough Black Crows, by oh the way, my David. God. Ronnie, this is incredible. And I'm going to one-up you, not one-up you, but I haven't even told you this, because oh I God. was already, I was going to open with my little yeah. thing, but you, I didn't know that you were going through this. Oh uh, we're going to get Yoko on the line after our interview. My oh wife, my Yoko. Yes. For the first time, we're going to get a spouse on the line, because I'm going to tell you, uh, shit's been going down to the Blake house. Really? Yep. The Blake compound S- is since when? What? When has this? Um, spoiled, petulant child. <laughs> it's time for another Maddie rant. This would be actually a boring Maddie anecdote. It's not boring though because I, I, I want her to tell you what we've been experiencing. Okay. All right. Because I haven't even told you this yet. Oh my goodness! It's one of those things where it's like, oh crap! But we've said we said we're going to get this residual stuff if we if we and, toil in this, and it's happening now. And so house. she's experiencing it as oh, well. Oh yeah, we were watching yeah. the movie the other night, and it was like, great. oh yeah, I totally heard that. Oh, yeah. Well, my, so oh after my our God. interview, we'll, we'll get Yoko on the okay, line. And I love it. Yeah. Uh huh. Uh huh. Uh, let's talk about our guest Ronald. Uh, our guest, yes, is who you Dennis, just saw. Yeah, he's his name is Dennis Stone. And uh, he runs America's Stonehenge up in Salem, New Hampshire. I was just mentioning Asia. My daughter and I went and visited him. He is awesome. The guy is a like encyclopedia. And what he has, the what he, the property that he has, has possibly one of the oldest American um, or oldest human, I guess, constructions in North America. Wow. Anywhere from two thousand to four thousand years. There's a sacrificial table, which is part of this. So they believe that either the Druids had created the stone chambers uh, or Phoenicians called you monks. So he's going to talk about a little bit of this, of who originated this. I think the problem was we had a Stonehenge monument in danger of being crushed by dwarves. You're just trying to get this up on the Adoria. (laughs) By the way, we'll take this opportunity right before our interview to tell you to get the Adoria app because you can watch this podcast 
and have it be an interactive experience. Producer Dave, tell us more. I'd be delighted to. Uh, Boston Podcast Network, pod617.com. We've made a partnership with a company called Adori. It's A-D-O-R-I. It's actually an anagram for radio, recalling everyone's love for radio. But it takes radio to the next level, takes podca- podcasts to the next level. I hate radio, by you, the way. You, <laughs> <laughs> Gee, I wonder why. Uh, so... The way it works is you can watch, if you go to pod617.com, click on the Monsterland icon, you can watch on the Adori web player right there. But really what you should do is go to the App Store on the iPhone or wherever you get your apps and and download the Adori app, and you get a whole new experience. When Maddie and Ronnie, we'll take down Spinal Tap here for a minute, (laughs) you guys get to you to watch. So So when Maddie and Ronnie reference something, like in the last episode, they said, well, it's something generic like UFO, an image comes up of a UFO, and you would click through and... Get uh, you know the Wikipedia page for the history of UFOs. More to the point, you know there'll be links to to buy Ronnie's book, of course, cha-ching, cha-ching, cha-ching. But we can also do things like uh, links in in time. We'll have different ways for you guys, you monsters, to get in touch with Ronnie and Maddie right there on the app, like right as it's happening. So um, you guys want to test it? Say say some uh, some figure of popular culture, whether Elvis. paranormal. Elvis. Elvis Presley. Elvis Presley now. So Elvis now, will pop up. So, so now, so John now, Ritter. So, John Ritter so from Three's Company. So if you're listening on the Adori app, you can see John. <laughs> some porn comment, porn some, star John Holmes. Oh, oh, oh. Uh, right. We'll probably keep it clean. They're usually Ron with- Jeremy. All right. I'm sorry, Adori. <laughs> Sebastian Maniscalco. All right. The algorithm is blowing up now because <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't it wasn't written for that kind of that part of the internet, uh, Maddie. But, but anyway, it's an interactive yeah. listening so experience. You can watch, listen, hit the links. Yeah. Adori Studio. Thank you, Adori. Yeah, we adore you. So they <laughs> right. <laughs> They support us, so we do want to thank uh, those guys at Adori. If you want to hear more information about like the whole company and all that, it's adorilabs.com. But download the app. You'll find, even if you're not watching a so-called Adorified version, an interactive version of a podcast, it's a very easy podcast app. So you can listen to all your, all your podcasts there, and uh, it's a handy thing. So thanks, Adori, and thanks, guys. All right. Without any further ado, let's get to our guest, the man in charge of America's Stonehenge Monument. Dennis Stone, welcome to Monsterland. Oh, good evening. Thank you for having me on this evening. So tell us, uh, so I know very little about this. I know Ronnie's been there, and Ronnie will, uh, you know, kind of dig into it deeper with you. But for a neophyte like myself, I know nothing about what's up there. Tell us what's up there or what may be up there and where you are. Right, yeah. Well, we think it's a uh, ceremonial site. Uh, It's a stone construction. Uh, We think it's about 4,000 years old. Uh, it's on a hill in Salem, New Hampshire, about 40 miles north of Boston, about 20 miles from the coast in southern New Hampshire. And uh, it's been a mystery for well over a century. You know, who built the site? What was it used for? Where did the people come from that built the site? You know, where did they go to after they built it? Uh, we believe today it's a ceremonial site. Um, it is astronomically aligned with the sun, moon, and stars, so it's kind of a calendar site. And it's composed of about um, 110 acres um, of stone walls, chambers. Uh, these are stone-built chambers, uh, standing stones, and inscriptions. And we even have um, pottery that comes from around 2,000 years old that has been found on the hilltop. But we think the site dates back to about 4,000 years and, again, was a ceremonial site used for uh, possibly burials, too. There are a couple chambers up there that we think were used for burials. Um, it might be one of the oldest stone sites found in North America. 
possibly. But it's not the only one. There's about 800 of these sites across the Northeast. Ooh. And some of these sites look very, very similar to our site. Uh, the style of construction, the type of chambers, you know, the astronomical alignments, and even inscriptions that uh, seem to be similar. They go from uh, southern, um, let's see, up by Quebec, all the way through New England, New York, Pennsylvania. And uh, just in the last uh, couple of years, we found out that similar structures actually exist out in eastern Colorado, Alabama, and Indiana. So it may not just be a northeast um, phenomenon, basically. That is absolutely fascinating. I'm a, I'm a you know, mass hole born and raised from the Northeast. And I, other than hearing of your site generally being aware of this type of stuff, I never knew there was that much to that extent in the Northeast, these type of things. Uh, is there any kind of, and I'll, I'll, you know, step away and let Ronnie take over here because he'll, mm-hmm. he'll know more about this with you, but is there any sort of strangeness high strangeness or anything that goes along with your site any uh kind of vibes any anything like that well we've had um people coming over the over the decades to visit our site uh we've had people that are uh psychics ghost hunters and that kind of thing um we in the fall we usually have like a ghost hunting thing and they bring up different types of equipment and you know um it makes it kind of interesting but we've had people like hans holzer at our place uh he was there in the 70s mm. uh he's pretty famous you know and he brought up four different psychics uh in 1974 and they were brought up at different times of the year and his book came out 20 years later on 1992 and it was all about our site with the um what these four different psychics experienced you know and it was kind of interesting some of the things they said uh kind of uh were the same, you know, they described some of the people that built the site as kind of, there are two types, like tall people, uh, fairer skin, and then there was a shorter kind of darker complexion people. And it was funny that they came up with the, that same thing individually, you know. Um, so, you know, the site uh, we think is probably a burial site. So, you know, when people come up there and they do these kind of, you know, like ghost hunts, it's kind of interesting to see what they come up with, what they experience. And we've had actually pictures taken up there by some of our visitors of what looks like one particular shot was near what we call the paddy area. It's when you first enter what we call the main site. And the picture came out about 15 years ago. We had it up on our website for quite a while. It's not there any longer. But it looked like a person standing there. But you could see through the person. It was pretty It was pretty cool. But myself, I haven't really experienced any ghost up there. But there are others that have sensed this, you know. Dennis, uh, you mentioned briefly when, uh, thank you so much. My daughter was ecstatic. She can't wait to go back. Uh, Asia and I had spent time with you and you gave us an unbelievable four hour VIP tour, which could have gone another four hours. It was just fascinating. <laughs> um, talk about uh, a few things and uh, I'm going to, a few things in my mind here, but what comes to mind initially is your son, uh, and what he discovered a few years ago about the site. Can you talk about that? Yeah, my son's name is Kelsey. He's actually an engineer, a mechanical, actually electrical mechanical engineer. And um, <clears throat> he just got a brand new job up in Manchester working for the people that created the Segway. So it's kind of interesting. But he, um, seven years ago, was uh, using Google Earth, and he was looking at some of the astronomical alignments at our site, basically just taking the line and going in that direction to see if there's other sites in New England uh, that align with it. And there are a couple, you know, that do align. We even knew that back in the 70s, but with Google Earth, it's so much easier today, you know. So he uh, was just following one of them. It's a summer solstice sunrise. It runs off to the northeast of our site. 
And it's a pretty um, <clears throat> cool alignment. The uh, stone actually has a shape to it. It's sort of asymmetrically shaped. Usually the astronomical alignment stones look like a big arrowhead with a point in the middle. And they can vary up to 10 feet in length. They're pretty, pretty big. But this one here has like a slope to it. And when we opened up that clearing back in 1970, I would say 1973 or 74, we were pretty astonished to see that the horizon, which is about five miles distance, has the same shape as the top of the stone. But we couldn't see that with the forest in the way. So once we cleared out the forest, about probably 800 feet of trees, we looked and said, oh, wow, you know, that stone was shaped to fit right into that notch. So in the summer solstice, the sun will rise <laughs> on both at the same time. But my son took that line right up through Maine and continued with it, and it eventually ended up over in, in Europe, in England. And he knew that it was pretty close to southern England, the line, and he kept changing the scale. And it turns out it was in the southern part of England, and he's been to Stonehenge a couple times, and he said, huh, that's kind of interesting. It falls somewhere near Stonehenge, and as he kept expanding it, eventually Stonehenge will show up, you know, as you keep changing the scale. And as he changed it, there it is, right through the center of one of the trilithons at Stonehenge, you know, the three stone, the two stones upright with a, with a capstone on top of it. it, goes right through the center of that. And it was like, wow, it doesn't just go near Stonehenge, it goes right through the center Holy of Stonehenge. Holy moly. That's amazing. Dude. Yeah. How could something... It's kind of cool. Thousands of years old, uh, aligned with you know, it's incredible. Right. No, Dennis, yeah, you know, thirty, sorry, two hundred miles. Yeah, yeah. Do you do you think? I know this theory is that there were you know you mentioned this eight hundred sites like this with stone chambers and stone walls, which we'll get to in a second because you had an amazing discovery over a couple of years ago with that as well, which I was looking for in Lemister State Forest, by the way. Uh, oh yeah. Oh wow. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> But, uh, you know, there's a theory that these sites at one point in time, that they're actually built on these high energy areas, that they are connected to and, I guess, aligned with these ley lines. And at one point in time, like there was this grid that these things were all kind of working off of. Mm. Do, you, do you think that, I mean, you're, you're starting to mm. see, like, I know you're, you said you're going to be going uh, uh, overseas in a, in a couple of months to kind of check out some other sites that have a lot of similarities. What's your what's your thoughts on that concept? Right, yeah, there's ley lines, and um, the site has been doused by the American uh, Society of Dowsers. They were they're based up in Vermont and Danville, Vermont, and they've been down to our site in the nineteen uh, probably the sixties, definitely in the nineteen seventies. And uh, we just had uh, I just did a little dowsing. Um, about a week and a half ago with a woman that's uh, pretty well known in New England. Uh, Ronnie knows her, and she's yeah, out Susan. west right now. And Yeah, Susan. She's out in uh, Sedona. And um, I got to use um, the uh, rods the other day, and it, they were pretty, it was pretty amazing. I, I've used them a little bit before. My dad, actually, back in 1958, when he opened up the museum to the public, we needed a well for water. And he went down with a with a stick, actually, you know, a dowsing stick, and he actually found the well, and that well was used for 25 years, you know, kept the place going, That's and then amazing. eventually we ended up with an artesian well because, you know, we needed more water at the place for more visitors, you know. But, um, yeah, the site might be on, they call it like sacred geometry of the world, you know, and right. some of these sites seem to be on these points, and some people think they're amplifiers for, for energy. And I will say, not only do we have that alignment with Stonehenge, but if you go on our true south alignment, it goes through Machu Picchu in Peru, huh. and which is cool. I found we found that afterwards, and my son's discovery actually ended up on uh, a Scott Walters uh, America on Earth, the second episode of that show, uh, which aired in 2013, and they've been showing it recently too. But after that, I get kind of curious: do we have other things that align with our astronomical alignments? And sure enough, 
not only does that go through Peru, but if you look at the winter solstice sunset, which is opposite the summer solstice sunrise, it goes through the moon pyramid at Teotihuacan in Mexico City, right through the center of that pyramid. I've been there, too. Uh, the equinox sunset goes through Chaco Canyon, and that's actually where we're going on our next vacation uh, next week, as a matter of fact, out to the Four Corners. And uh, I'm going to check that place out. I've been out there before, but never to Chaco Canyon. Well, that alignment goes right through Chaco Canyon. Uh, opposite that is the equinox sunrise, and that goes through the uh, pyramids in the Canary Islands, which a lot of people don't know exist. I don't know if Ronnie was aware of that, but we, I think I wasn't. talked no. about that. Yeah. <clears throat> kind of cool, you know? Awesome. Um, yeah, so, I mean, these, uh, these different astronomical alignments seem to be pointing at very, very significant sites, and that might be because they're on these energy points according to, you know, some of the research, researchers and investigators, you know, that these are special PowerPoints of the Earth. And we've been included in some of the maps drawn up in different books that re, that actually talk about this. There's been quite a few authors that, you know, that go into this whole thing. And we've been in a few of those books, and they have us on that. But I don't think when – that was a few years ago. They didn't know about these, you know, like our alignment with Kiwakiwakan or the Canary Islands. I don't think they were aware of that at the time, you know. Uh, so it's kind of – kind of surprising you know to us that you know they're right on right dead center right on it you know now what do you i mean you're there you 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 own the site and you have these sites that are thousands of miles apart different and 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 if this thing is thousands of years old how could they line up how could these places be at different places but line up like what do you think went on what what is it what are you sitting on top of how do you explain this Yeah, it just might be there's a geometric grid to the Earth, and they would align, you know, if these if these sites are put on these particular spots. So they'll just, you know, they will be on that alignment, you know, because that is, it's a geometrically, uh, it kind of surrounds the entire globe. I've seen these maps of the globe, you know, it's kind of looks very geometric, and everything is kind of on these straight lines. I guess you'd call them ley lines, you know. Uh. And um, as a matter of fact, uh, Francis Hitching, uh, John Michelle, I, John Michelle, I guess, uh, we were in a booklet in 1978, and on that, in that booklet, they were dowsing at our site. And actually, the summer solstice we just mentioned, the first one you mentioned, actually was one of the ones that they picked out as one of the major ley lines. And that was over 40 years ago. And that's the one that my son took across to Stonehenge. Like, and we have the book, and it's like, wow, that's pretty cool, you know? Uh, you know, that was way back in the 70s. You know, they were already kind of onto that, you know? Talking about <clears> the <throat> ley lines, you were discussing the stone <clears throat> walls. So a lot of... Uh, you know, I know Lemonster mm-hmm. State Forest has a lot of these stone walls. A lot of people believe that these, these are just from the colonial settlers at the time that kind of set up these property markers. But you were noticing something that was a little off. They weren't in a straight line. They seemed to be curved. Talk about what you just what you discovered, and then also how this somehow connects to what people have talked about. And you know, with the Serpent Mounds of Ohio. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. The, our site has thousands of feet of stone walls. And in New England, it's probably 240,000 miles of walls enough to go from here to the moon. And they started building these walls in the 1700s to clear fields, you know, for plowing and also boundaries and stock fences. Sometimes they served all three purposes. Those walls are pretty straight, you know, fairly linear. Um, they do form po- property markers, of course, and they're usually made out of field stones, a lot of rounded type rocks. But my dad even knew back in the 1950s when he got involved, our walls seemed to contain a lot of big flat slabs, and these slabs are or were part of the bedrock. So somebody took time to actually quarry these stones off the bedrock and use them for wall construction. And in New England, who actually makes stones? Unless you need a specific stone, you just pick them up. They're everywhere. You don't need to go out and quarry stone necessarily to make stone walls. You know, they're just 
millions of stones everywhere. But these were deliberately made. They were stood up in the walls. Uh, we have found, um, one thing we found too is our walls kind of zigzag. They'll go to a glacial boulder and then the wall will change its course and go over to another glacial boulder and then it'll go over to another, kind of linking these boulders together. And that's kind of a new discovery. And the other new discovery was that we have serpentine walls. These are walls that are shaped like a serpent. They have what? a head, a body, and a tail. <laughs> and yeah, and that's in the last three years we found these, you know. Did you just say but snake only, walls? <laughs> snake, snake, yeah, snake walls. Yeah, what is going on? Yeah, I know, huh? We got the snakes up there, and uh, it's a big surprise to us because, my, you know, my dad went out in the woods a lot, and we never recognized this. We did see walls everywhere, but when you look at them and you see it, when you finally recognize what a serpent wall looks like, you'll never walk by a wall again and look at it the same way, you know. But not only at our site, but a place like North Stonington, Connecticut, is one site with 8,000 features, and they have about 400 of these walls that run from 30 feet up to 300 feet. And again, they'll have a head, a body, and a tail. And just recently, uh, we found that these things are in Alabama. They call them serpent. They call them rattlesnake walls. Uh, Colorado and the eastern part of Colorado has some of the features that we have at our site. Uh, several features, but one of them is again the serpentine walls, and one of the ones I saw a picture of looks just like one of ours. Same triangular boulder head, the body, and they run anywhere at our site from about roughly 30 feet up to 2,550 feet. We think we have the biggest. It's about twice as long as the Great Serpent Mound in Ohio, which is about 1,350 feet. And the question is, you know, why would people, why were they so interested in the serpent? We think possibly they were looking at the heavens, looking at the constellations. And one of the constellations is Draco, the serpent or the, or the snake. And if you look at Draco, it kind of looks like a serpent or snake. I'm like the Big Dipper. To me, it doesn't look like a bear, you know, or Ursa Major and Ursa Minor, the big and little dippers. To me, they don't look like bears, but this one really looks like a serpent. And it might be inspir inspirational to these people. And they brought down the constellation to the earth. And what came out is a wall shaped like a serpent. Because the serpents in the Bible with Adam and Eve, St. Patty driving out the serpent. They're in Egypt, you know, the serpent, cobra, uh, South America, Mexico. It's kind of a worldwide thing. But the Great Serpent Mount in Ohio is really famous, and it is astronomically aligned with the sun, moon, and, um, yeah, it's aligned with the solstices and equinoxes. But it also, they feel, it is Draco the dragon brought down to Earth again, or, or the serpent brought down to Earth. Okay, so I was so going to come visit you, but now I've heard a potential sacrifice altar and snake walls. That's the devil. You have a satanic site there, my friend, Dennis. Right, right. What yeah, was amazing? What goes on up here. Potentially. Well, you, what don't was wanna, you don't want to know. No. What, what was amazing, too, is, is seeing the, uh, and you pointed out this to me, Dennis, and I couldn't unsee it now. Within these some of these stone walls, there was that like hump, almost like the spine, which I, I think I described it like a dragon. And... You were also showing me these spirit windows, which were in the walls and kind of opened up uh, like the space where the souls would kind of come through. And remember, we're looking at the there's a sacrificial table oh, in, in one of the in, the, in one of the uh, the main um, chamber outside of that. Uh, and there's one that's very similar to that. And the reason why uh, Dennis is on one because of America Stonehenge, but also there's a connection to Monsterland and Lemster State Forest that there was a table that was found in No Town Reservoir called, called the uh, No Town Table Stone that resembled the same one. It had the grooves almost like for blood to kind of oh, pour God. down. But uh, talk about what we were looking at, what you, you had described about initially you thought this table was a rectangle, but then you realized it was something else. 
Yeah, the table actually, it's kind of a bell-shaped table. It's about nine feet by six feet, and it's about 9,000 pounds. The granite up there, it's about 163 pounds per cubic feet, foot, so we know we can actually, you know, come up with a weight of the stone without actually weighing it, you know. But uh, it's a big piece of granite, and it has that groove on it. It's pretty deep. It's a, probably three inches wide, the groove, and it goes around the entire table, and it's just about four feet by about five and a half feet, the groove is. And it actually, we always thought it was a rectangle. And a couple of years ago, uh, we went up and actually measured it. Uh, and it turns out it's actually a trapezoid in shape. And it, you know, we didn't know that. We always thought it was just a perfect rectangle. A trapezoid shape is being found not only on the table, on the groove, but we found that there's two chambers, one called the Chamber in Ruins, which we got three radiocarbon datings out, including one that was 4,000 years old. The, the, uh, the floor plan of that appears to be trapezoid. There's another structure called the paddy chamber, and that's about 30 feet from that other chamber, and that also seems to be trapezoid. And then there's this area, you remember, Ronnie, next to the table, looks like an animal pen. We were yeah. looking at it with Asia. Yeah. And again, that that seems to be trapezoid. And reading through, I mean, I read all the time, and one of the, and I've been to Europe, you know, a lot of the sites, and one of the things I came across in one of the books, and I didn't know it when I, on my travels to Europe at the time, but... Some of the chambers over there are trapezoid in shape to some of the mm. ancient megalithic sites that are, you know, thousands of years old. Trapezoid seems to be uh, kind of a theme. So that, again, that may be linking us to the old world, you know, because of that shape. Not that it wasn't used by some Native Americans, too, but I, the chambers look so Western European in that. But we know Native Americans were in New Hampshire going back 10 to 12,000 years. So the, one of the questions is how much... Did they get involved with our site? A lot, some, or none. You know, we just don't know. Right. But, yeah, to find that trapezoid shade up. And then the uh, windows that we've been finding up there, we have, I believe, 13 of them now. And, Ronnie, and Asia, you know, you you saw them, Ronnie, right, yep. when you were there. Yeah. <clears throat> and that's so uh, between the, uh, the – Yeah, you know, those, we got 13 of those. We have 12 serpent walls. And, uh, and those spirit and, windows seem to be trapezoid as well. When we're looking at photos from what we took after Asia was taking a bunch of pics – we were looking at that because I remember when you and I were staring down at the sacrificial table and the opening of it looked like a trapezoid. And we both, I was going to say something, and then you said, that kind of looks like a trapezoid. Wow. I was, was going to say the same thing. Um, yeah, that was, that was pretty, that was a good moment, actually. Yeah. yeah. I mean, because I've been there for 60 years and um, we're finding another thing out might be the measurements of the site might be the same standard unit of measure as they used in megalithic sites. It's called the megalithic yard. Mm. It's about 32.64 inches. And we, we were, we, were, we were kind of discovered it there in the 1970s when I was doing a diorama, the big model that we have. I had to do a few measurements. But that measurement's used in megalithic sites throughout Europe, and it's um, something that was discovered by a Dr. Alexander Tom. And throughout the New World, we're starting to find that same measurement. It's basically 83 centimeters. They're finding it in Peru, it's like Machu Picchu. They're finding it in Tihuacan in Mexico, which we already talked about. And some of the mounds down in the southern part of the United States, down in Louisiana, uh, uh, like um, near Shreveport, there's um, Poverty Point. They're finding 83-centimeter measurements, but that is basically 32.64 inches. So we might have a piece of evidence suggesting the old world, again, was in contact with the new world in ancient times. So one thing we've got to do is do a laser scanning of our site and then put different measuring systems into it and see what comes out. Because that would be pretty good evidence, you know, of, of people going across the ocean, you know, well before Columbus and the Vikings. <clears throat> I have one more thing. I remember you uh, sent me a message, like, I think the next day, and you're like, oh, my God, I forgot to tell you about my dad's Bigfoot cast. 
and I almost fell off my chair. What? <laughs> you tell us, tell us about that. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, well, when you come back, I'll show you to you. Uh, it, it, it's, it's pretty cool. My, I started about 25 years ago at my dad's home. I, I walked in. I said, what the devil is that thing? He goes, that's, uh, actually, that's Bigfoot. I said, well, where did you get that thing from? And actually, he had got it from, I don't know if you've heard of um, Charles Hapgood from Keene State College. He's the one who wrote uh, Earth no. Crustal Displacement. Einstein uh, sci- actually endorsed his book back, I think, before Einstein died. Uh, some, he died in 56, I think, but he endorsed it probably around 1953. And Hapgood gets on the History Channel. He passed away in 1988, but he still gets on TV because of his idea, um, talking about the Perry Reese map, showing the Antarctic without oh, right. ice, that kind of thing. And yes. then, you know, the Earth. You know, it's really, but he was quite a guy. He has quite a legacy, but he got he actually owned that and he had that and when he died in 1988 just before he died he knew he was i guess you know his time was up almost he gave a lot of stuff to my dad including that cast but that cast of bigfoot actually goes back to Mylon perkins from uh, american wildlife oh, yeah, uh, yeah yeah mutual of omaha mm-hmm. the host of that show and also sir edmund hillary who climbed mount everest and so they had about 1963 had traveled back to uh, the Himalayas, and they were a little skeptical about Bigfoot, I guess, and they went out, and sure enough, they found something, and this is supposed to be the cast that they made. So that's, it's not from New Hampshire, it's not from the top of our hill, which would be pretty cool, Right. but it comes from Sir Edmund Hillary and uh, Marlon Perkins uh, from, I think, 1963, their expedition back over there, you know, so... That's and that, we got it in our collection. So I will show it to you when you come down. Oh, that's next so time. awesome! And, and I know, yeah. I know, Maddie <laughs> wants to come now too because I was telling him before we get on how cool <laughs> this place is and the fact with with Maddie's experience with Curse of Oak Island, his love for this history. I think he'll just fall in love with the place when he gets once he gets there. Yeah, that's a definite. Oh. Uh, Dennis, hearing you talk, it just it reminds me of Oak Island. I mean, we could do an entire season. <laughs> of Oak Island just on the carved stones alone on Oak Island. The megalissa from Nolan's Cross to the Stone Triangle to the sacred geometry, the sites on Oak Island. I mean, and then underground chambers, which seem to be of kind of uh, European, uh, you know, the old countries you say. I mean, the the similarities are, are, you know, vast between the two sites, it seems like, in a lot of ways. Oh, that'd be excellent. Yeah, that'd be. I'd love to participate in any way I could help you with that, too. That'd be great. I used to be interesting. go up to Halifax when my, when my airline career. I used to go to Halifax all the time, but we go up here, do an overnight, and get out of there. I wish I had, and I visited there. We've toured there before, but I never had a chance to see Oak Island or some of the other features, you know, even on that one-week vacation we were there. So you that's, would love that's pretty cool. You would love yeah. it. It'd be interesting if Nolan's yeah. Cross yeah. Uh, intersects with that site, because it's right. I mean, right. you know. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that would be really. There's so much we don't know, and we keep discovering every day. You know, alignments with other sites and different features. It's it's like in ten years, what we're going to find up there in other places too. Like you say, yeah. even up in Nova Scotia, and stuff keeps coming out. Whether it's lidar or worldview satellite finding things, or just you know, in ground penetration radar, just all these cool technologies too. Are and people just walking around and discovering things too. It's so so awesome, you know. So <clears throat> I, can I? I don't know if I can say this. <laughs> Uh-oh. So when you oh, when you guys were, when you when you guys were dowsing with with my buddy Susan, uh, you guys think you discovered something, and you showed Asia and I, and we were on top of it, and it sounds like what you described. Can you talk about that? Yeah, that's uh, it's outside what we call the main site, just to the west, not too far from the equinox boulder alignment, 
And back in the 1990s, one of our neighbors actually made the uh, ground penetration radar, and they were just on the road a quarter of a mile, and they've since moved over to National New Hampshire about 20 miles away. But they would bring the radar up there and demonstrate it to people from all over the world, and they would also use it with our archaeologists, kind of work together, you know, trying to find things. They found a couple fire pits, and, you know, one of the things they found, though, in that area was uh, surprising to us because it's all, the whole hill is bedrock. There's a gigantic rock, you know, it should be all solid. When they ran it over this area back at, I think it was around 1993 or 94, they said, you have either an underground chamber or you have a cavity in the bedrock. And we're like, what? Mm. You know, and we didn't believe it. You know, we couldn't believe it. And they said, yeah. And I said, are you sure? Is your equipment, you know, working correctly? And, you know, all of that. And he said, no, you know, we have experience in this. We know what looking at. We've seen these kind of, you know, faults. And they described it. It was about the size of what we call the chamber in ruins. Uh, I think I mentioned that earlier in the program. And it's at, um, probably about, you know, 12 feet by about maybe 10 foot area. And we never got back to really exploring that, you know, to put a test pit in there and see if there's anything there. But if you stomp on it, it sounds hollow. So when Susan was up the other day, I said, you know, Susan, let's go out here and check this out. We actually were checking some ley lines, including that one that goes to Stonehenge before that. And that was pretty awesome. You know, I mean, the rods really reacted to that. But when we took her out there and she walked it and I walked it and then I closed my eyes and started just so I wouldn't, you know, disturb the rods, you know, and make them do something. And actually, the rods showed the edges, the four co- the four sides. It actually showed it right where the radar showed it. Oh my so god! Now, so dowsing yeah. confirmed and, that. Yeah, wow. And, and Dennis was it, saying with it, those rods, it just pulls his hands, and I've used them as yeah, well, but yeah. not in a site like this. It was just the energy yeah. must have been. Well, crazy. I usually pull my rod. <laughs> what? There you go. There you go. That's a whole different thing, though. <laughs> I'm sorry, research? Dennis. What's your research up there, Mister? Uh, I'm so sorry, Dennis. <laughs> See, this is what I have I'm to so deal with doing a podcast with a comedian. <laughs> well, you throw me a softball like that, I'm going to swing. Damn it. Uh, well, again, another Oak Island connection. Uh, dowsing. Dowsing is how uh, a few Oak Island sites, or 10X uh, is how Dan yep. Black is found with dowsing. Oh, yeah. uh, underground chambers. Uh, we're using yep. radar, ground penetrating radar now. Holy crap. This is unbelievable, so Dennis. Cool, right? I, I got to get up there. Yep. Uh, Dennis Stone, thank you so much. This went in directions I didn't oh. expect it to. Uh, you're sitting on a really exciting. <laughs> how do people find you if they want to come see America's Stonehenge, Dennis? Sure. Well, thank you so much for having me on. Yeah, they can check us out on uh, StonehengeUSA.com. There's also a, uh, uh, see, there's a, well, that's our website. We also are on Facebook. We're on Instagram. And we have a free app download on your mobile app. If you go to our America Stonehenge, look for the logo. You can actually do a tour at home, a virtual tour. It's got text, pictures, and uh, it talks to you. But uh, the website, uh, there's also a email, and you can email us. And I think the phone number is there. So if you want to talk to us or send us an email if you have a question, but the website's pretty, you know, it has a lot of information about the site, pictures, it tells you everything about our hours of operation. And if they have any questions, you know, they certainly can email them to us or give us a call. And we're open every day except Christmas and Thanksgiving and the occasional uh, New England blizzard, you know. So we're open all the time pretty much. Yeah, which we get, but we're open all the time. We do snowshoeing in the winter, so, you know, we open the entire hill up, and you can go out there and see the where the glacial cliff shelter where we found pottery that dates back about 2,500 years. That's normally closed except for the snowshoeing time, you know, we get that open. So, yeah, come on down. Please, all of you, come down and be my guest. Dennis, mm. when's, when's the next uh, upcoming <laughs> excuse me, event that you have? <laughs> Coming up. 
Yeah, that's the uh, yeah, that's the equinox, um, and I still haven't got the. Uh, it's on a Monday, and I got to check the schedule and see if the celebrations on Sunday. Sometimes they move it to the weekend because most people have the day off. But on that day, we should be open from sunrise to sunset, and I believe it's on a Monday. The celebration may be on Monday or Sunday. I'll have to check the webpage. I haven't seen that yet. And then we'll go into the winter solstice. And we're doing a tree clearing thing up there. We're going to be doing a forest management. We're going to open up some alignments that have never been open for what we call the lunar major standstills. It's every 18 and a half year the moon goes through a cycle. And since 1967, we never opened up those avenues. And the next occurrence of that will be in the year 2025. So we will have them open by this winter. And then we'll have to wait four years to actually watch the moon actually rise and set over these particular alignments. We're kind of excited about that, too. That's incredible. So <laughs> thank cool. you so much, Dennis. Oh, well, thank you, guys. We'll, we had we'll a great see you time soon. Tonight. Uh, take care. Come on up. Bye-bye now. Thanks, Dennis. Thank you, Dennis Stone. A quick reminder to you, if you are in New England and you're listening to this, contact our friends at AIDC, that's Auburn Industrial Development Corporation, if you have any industrial real estate needs. Perhaps you have a building that is sitting empty and you want to sell it, or you have need of some warehouse space or some sort of huge building for your property, your business. Call our friends at AIDC 978-365-4585. It's a family owned and operated business. They are the best. They will handle your commercial real estate needs in the New England area. That's AIDC. <laughs> well, you know, you know. No, I love oh, and I have not doing this for free. <laughs> I have a big announcement next episode. Oh. I'll, I'll wait for next episode, but okay. something for us coming out. Am I going to make some more money? Yes. Oh, then I'm going to pay attention. <laughs> okay, let's get into. Well, let's hold on. A, hold off on Monster Mail for a second, but let's get into this story. We have some sound on this. Now, this is a story. If you're into paranormal at all. You may know about this long rumor that's gone on. We've actually mentioned it on this show um, that an alien was once killed, shot by a soldier on the at an Air Force base. Right. For dicks, correct? Right, which is in the Pine Barrens of New Jersey. Talk about the Pine Barrens a little bit. Holy crap, man. You got the New Jersey devil that supposedly emanated from the Pine Barrens that kind of came from this. So this area already has this supernatural history and folklore kind of tied to it. Yes, and it's got uh, that kind of creepy vibe and everything. So uh, another type of monster land type place, you know, potentially the Pine Barrens, all these weird things. Okay, so the rumor was that, like I said, uh, an Air Force MP, if you will, shot and killed an alien, which sounds crazy. However, in a new book, A retired Air Force major claims that an alien was indeed killed at the joint base McGuire-Dix-Lakehurst, was shot basically in the Pine Barrens of New Jersey. The new book, Ronnie, is called Strange Craft, the true story of an Air Force intelligence officer's life with UFOs. He does say, yes, indeed, a military police officer shot an extraterrestrial being at Fort Dix in the early morning hours of January 18th, 1978. I love shit like this. But before we get into that story, I want to give you a sense of his credibility. Now, if you could see this man in the video, he looks like your grandpa. He, you know, And you got to remember, he was an Air Force major. He was this also, isn't some 
He was also an intelligence officer. Boom. So, yeah, so I'm a little, I'm okay. A little yes, like, I understand. Oh. You got to keep that in mind that it yes. could be disinformation. Correct. But why at 85? Right. Why? You know, he, he could have done disinformation when he was going through it. Exactly. This is and like lied. the classic deathbed confession. This is a deathbed yeah. confession. He's not quite. He's not dead. I don't. Right, know what I mean, right. But you're right. It's the end of his life. He's sitting in a recliner. He's very old. He looks very grandfatherly. There's really no reason for him to do this. He, you know, so let's just hear from him. Now, he's not talking about the shooting in this clip, but he is talking about his experience chasing a UFO as an Air Force pilot. And listen to this. It is really compelling. He is a compelling witness, former Air Force major, talking about his experiences. One of the things where I'm coming from is I feel that the public should know this. It's real. It exists. I love the overly hip music they always have in these things. Right. Techno. Major George Flyer is on a refueling mission over the North Sea. And London Control called us and asked if we'd be willing to, you know, intercept it unidentified, which was over the Stonehenge Area pause. England. Holy pause. Lee. Kind of, you know, pause. Shit. <laughs> we didn't know that. We did when we got this clip. Know that. So all. he happened. We just wow. had the interview with George with uh, Dennis Stone. <laughs> yeah, Stonehenge again. Stonehenge. It goes to eleven. Now he see. They tell him there's a UFO and it's over Stonehenge. Oh my God! What is going on? All right, continue. And they told us, you know, it's like 50 miles and directly ahead of you. So we got our radar up. I had two radars that I operated and uh, picked it up on the radar. Now, we would overfly the Firth of Forth Bridge in Scotland all the time, which is a very large bridge. It's like about a mile long and so on. Well, in any case, when we got the UFO on our radar, it looked like the Firth of Fourth Bridge. Well, when we got closer, we could see lights off in the distance. Can you pause again? Kind of like a cruise ship, you know, you'd see it. So, I don't know if you caught that, but he said the bridge is a mile long. Right, and the ship is the same size. And this craft looked like the bridge in the air, is what right. he was saying. Holy crap! It's huge. It's kind of like a cruise ship, you know, you'd see at night. With multiple lights across it. And as we got, I don't know, about five miles from it, it went up into space. And we were doing over 400, and I would say it was doing 10, 20 times our speed, and it's this huge object. So we're pretty convinced that it was <laughs> something that was not ours, let's put it that way. Like, see, he just looks and sounds so compelling yes. to me. And you know what he said at the beginning of this? I'm saying this because the public needs to know. Boom. Who does that sound like? Uh, someone we just talked to. Hold on. Uh, 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 uh. Who, who was Bob just Lazar. Saying? Lazar, right. He says that Publish science... No, that's the I'm, main thing. Right. I'm mad because this shouldn't be hidden from the scientific community. We No, no. What he said, shouldn't be hidden from the public. It's a science issue, he says. Right. We have science and technology that's being hidden from us. Right. And that's wrong. There's a lot of uh, people out there that believe there is a kind of like secret, hidden society that has access to this technology... No doubt, right? And that's living within the earth or whatever, what have you. And it sounds like science fiction, but then you start to see people like this coming out. Guys like that are super credible to me. And okay, yeah. so let's, this is the same guy. That was his uh, 
you know, uh, testimony about chasing UFO as a pilot, but then here he is talking about the alien shooting at Fort Dix. In the freezing winter darkness, I love this shit. In the freezing winter darkness of that day in January 1978, a bipedal creature described as about four feet in height and grayish brown in color with a, quote, fat head, long arms, and slender body was shot to death with five rounds fired from a service member's forty-five caliber, that was the military issue handgun at the time. Uh, as the book explains, the major describes that the soldier had originally been in a police pickup truck driving through the wilderness of the base, again, these pine barrens, in pursuit of a strange low-flying aircraft that had been observed passing through the military installation's airspace about 2 a.m. that morning. Now, again, these craft flying through military, this is like Rendlesham, right. this yep. happens all the time. About an hour into the drive, the soldier became aware in typical horror movie fashion that the craft, oval-shaped and radiating a blue-green glow, was hovering directly over his vehicle. (laughs) Oh, my God. That's when the creature emerged from the shadows on foot, revealing itself to the soldier by stepping into the beams of the vehicle's headlights where the panicked MP drew his weapon ordered the, whatever it was, alien, to freeze, and he fired. Now, according to this retired major he just heard from, as described in the book, the alleged alien succumbed to its gunshot wounds on the Air Force side of what is now the Joint Base McGuire-Dix-Lakehurst in Burlington County. He testified that, it re- that its remains gave off a foul-smelling ammonia-like stench. Mm. I can identify with being in this studio. (laughs) Later that morning, a cleanup crew from Wright-Patterson Air Force Base in Ohio, again, that keeps coming up. Why would they send people from there? Oh, gee, maybe because they had some experience in this realm. And by the by, all y'all are going to storm Air 51. That's where you should be going. Wright-Patterson. Flew to retrieve the body, behaving as if the creature was, well, not entirely alien to them. Ha ha. They've done this before. This came from the Asbury Park Press. Asbury Park, New Jersey. One, two, three, ho! Sorry. <laughs> I reached out to see if it was an alien. This next song is about an alien I encountered in Nebraska. Bruce. One, two, three, ho! <laughs> Sorry. Whenever I see Asbury Park, I have to go into Bruce. <laughs> oh, my God. Did you see the Bruce movie? Amy watched it. I have to watch oh it. I saw God. the end of it. She said it's amazing. It is the movie of the song. Amazing. I, I, it is so good. I thought of you when, What's when she was called? watching uh, it. Uh, oh, fuck. I know. I know. Uh, it's a feel-good coming-of-age story about the Bruce Springsteen, the kid discovering Bruce Springsteen. Yes, it's the guys that, do, uh, that did music and lyrics and Love yes, Actually. Yes, it, yes. It looks amazing. And it's a true story. It's his. It's the director's basically, you know, it's based in truth. He was a Bruce fanatic, Indian kid growing up in London. And uh, anyway, it is my, my wife. And speaking of Yoko and Max, they had a they had a little bet going. How many times I would break into tears? And how many? What was the the over under was like three, and He's Max won in a landslide. I cried like seven times. Yeah, <laughs> blinded by the light. Blinded right? by the light. Thank you. This next song is about <laughs> an alien that I encountered in the Pine Barrens. <laughs> when the light shone on me, I was blinded by the light. One, two, three, four. Flyer, the major, who has most recently served as the state director for an organization called MUFON, 
we know about MUFON. Madman drummers, bummers, and Indians in the summers with a teenage <laughs> diplomat. With an alien landing in the Pine Barrens, the MP's gonna shoot him dead. Now, Flyer says, or Filer, the guy we heard talk, says he never actually saw the dead alien. You can keep Bruce up. But he says he knows for a fact that the story is true. January morning of 1978, he says he arrived on the base before dawn to prepare his daily 8 a.m. intelligence briefing for his superior officers. In the book, he explains that when he arrived, security at the base had been so tightened that he personally observed the emergency response in the aftermath of the incident. But he had to be cleared himself. And he was like the head intelligence officer and security was so tight, they're like, whoa, 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 hold on. He also said he was required to interview some of the witnesses from the scene for a report on what happened and that he was required to file it top secret. However, he was even denied access to and was never cleared to see the photos that were said to be taken at the scene. For for an intelligence officer to be kind of pushed off and not have that access says a ton. Ton! Because they would be the ones that would be in the know, if you yes. would, right? Like, of what's okay. going on. And so if you're lying... This at, is higher up. If you're lying after a decorated career of being an Air Force major, right? Putting your reputation on the line at 83 years old or whatever he is. And, oh, I'm going to lie about this. Wouldn't you say, like, yeah, I saw the pictures. At least you'd say I saw the pictures right. of the autopsy or I saw them wheeling out the alien or whatever. He's right. like, no, I never was even allowed to see any of it. And you know that's what? Inc- that's very... This, this guy is one of these what I call like a messenger because supposedly they said too that he's had seen UFOs throughout Boom. his life Boom. since he was five Boom. years old. This always happens. Right? Like These so guys, there's there's they're kind of almost yep. in this path, this yes. destined yes. direction. This next song's about <laughs> man's existential search for extraterrestrial life and our neglect of the American veteran coming home from the Vietnam War post Regan and the Regan all makes it. Oh my God. All right, let's. Uh, no more coffee <laughs> for you. Like, seriously, I don't even know how to handle this. I, need a, I need a blowgun, chlorophyll. And something else, because I don't know how to restrain what is happening. Can you you actually thought at one time you wanted to do a TV show with me. <laughs> yeah, Can you I imagine still how do. horrible it would be? No, do. no, you don't. No, you d- Dude, we would have so much fun. Oh, my God. 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 Oh, my All right. Let's open some monster mail, shall we, Ronnie? We have, oh, oh, shit. Oh, no. You oh, kidding no. me? That's Dave's yeah, heart out. Uh Bigfoot called. He said he really wants you to end the fucking show. <laughs> all right, Dave's producer. Dave's got a hard out. He's got something to do. So Tinder date. Uh, all right, we're <laughs> they're going to go see Blinded by the Light. Okay, uh, sorry, Dave. We went too long. So listen. So next week we'll do a double dose of monster mail. Uh, Steve B. Lori Moore, we've got so many pieces of mail that we didn't get to. Uh, all y'all on social media who we said we're going to address it, we will. Um, I have an incredible piece of mail from Robert, a guy I work with at Oak Island who did something incredible. We've got to talk about the alien face in Antarctica. Someone sent us an email about that. Um, oh, got, there's so much. The Loch Ness Monster eel the thing. Eels, yep. We've got so much monster mail. We will have a – maybe we just do a whole half an episode of just all the mail we have to That'd get to awesome. next week. Let's do it. Also – 
We will hear from Yoko. We will tell you what's will going on in the Blake compound. And finally, we will get to Ronnie's ectoplasm yes! all on the next edition of Monsterland. Until then, stay safe, monsters. We love you. And we've got like 50 minutes to record 40, 50. Oh. <laughs> I got it.